This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. Hey everyone, I want to jump on before you get into the podcast episode today and share that I'm launching the Wise Warrior Mastermind, which I'm really excited about because you know when something comes through me, it comes through with full energy and love. And I really wanted to convene a group, a small group of about five people where we can really go deep and create a safe container, a safe environment, a place where you can just be free, let yourself be you. You don't have to worry about bringing any baggage into the group. And we can really focus on these mindset teachings that I have embodied and learned and mastered over the last several years. And I can share them with you and we can work on them together and we can support each other and create some lasting impact and change in your life. So we can focus on how to lead with love, how to live and flow, how to master your thoughts and what belief systems you have and so many other things that we're going to work on together. So if you're interested, please reach out to me at david at davidkrichards.com or you can go to the website davidkrichards.com slash program slash mindset. We're going to get better together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. And it's going to be a, a small number of us. So if you're interested, please reach out as soon as possible because we don't have that many spaces. All right. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited today to be with Mary Jo Fairhead. Hi, Mary Jo. How are you doing? I'm good. Awesome. So we're doing something a little bit different than my normal guest interview. Mary Jo and I have known each other for, gosh, it feels like 100 years, but I think it's only been a few. Yeah. <laughs> and we are actually launching a venture called Pathfinder that's going to help people start their own schools or learning centers across the country. Mary Jo's in South Dakota. I'm in California. And we have we get phone calls regularly from people asking how do we do what you guys did and how do we create a school for our kids or how do we join a team that's creating a school or whatever the question may be about like, how do we do this better than what we're seeing the education system as of right now? So we thought it would be really cool to get together and do a series of four podcast episodes on Changemaker EDU, where we talk about why we started our schools, 
kind of some of the tidbits and tricks and tools that we can share with people as people are considering looking for different options for their children, or if you're an educator that maybe is looking for a different option for your kids, if you have kids, or if you're looking for a different place to work. So we really want to talk to you if you're anybody who's concerned about the education system and what we're doing in the system. And whether you have kids, you're a grandmother, or you're just a concerned community member, we're here to share with you what we've done and how we've tried to solve this problem. And then again, this new program we're launching called the Pathfinder program, where we are trying to help people do what we did, which was really get motivated when we really thought about our own children going into kindergarten. We'll talk about that more. And as career-long educators, we're like, okay, we can't actually put our kids into these schools. So how do we help everyone's kids not go into these schools? So that was kind of our motivation. All that said, we will be doing some episodes about like why we started. I think we'll do about, I said four, we'll do episodes about why we started our schools. We'll do episodes about, you know, what are the specifics of how to start a school, what you need to do in terms of finding your values, getting clear with the why, the what, the how, all that good stuff. So that'll be coming over the next four episodes, but I'd love to start now by getting to know Mary Jo a little bit better. So Mary Jo, would you like to share a little bit about yourself for the listeners? Yeah, sure. So as you said, I live in South Dakota. I have been here my entire life, except for a short summer long internship in Washington, D.C. when I was in college. Nice. I have been an educator. I was a teacher for about seven-ish years and then a principal for a few years. And then I started a little school in um, our little town called Martin, South Dakota. We're near the Pine Ridge Reservation. I have three children, which is one, five, and seven. And I'm married, and we live on a cattle ranch in southwestern South Dakota. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. No, that's really helpful to give us an understanding. So Mary Jo has coached basketball. She's worked at... Didn't you also, didn't you also teach university for a while? Yep. I taught some college courses. Um, yeah. I basically taught or been an administrator for pre... Well, birth now, all the way <laughs> to adult education. That's amazing. Yeah. So you've worked in education in various capacities in the college level now with, with honored and the like little kids, you were a principal, was it elementary school or high school? I forget. Um, that was K eight. And I taught, I also taught middle school and high school as well. Okay. So you've really seen the whole spectrum from pre-K through college basically, and mm -hmm. intimately with a K eight and high school. Yeah. And yeah, so the three, and yeah, and you've gotten to know that well in the last few years with Onward. So tell us a little, a little bit about Onward, because I feel like that's probably the most interesting part of your bio right now that we can highlight. Yeah. So um, do you want me to share how Onward came about? To start? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, before I start, um, anything I say about the public school system has nothing to do with the teachers, the administrators. Amen. They're... Uh, we're on the same team and yeah. I have taught and worked with some of the most phenomenal people in that system. The reason I started onward is because I felt that system was failing our kids and our teachers. I, you know, I became a teacher with <laughs> all the ambition in the world to change lives. And I, and I think yeah. I did make, you know, make some impacts, but, um, 
then I became an administrator thinking, oh, I can really make some changes now, right? Yeah. And I quickly found out that, yes, I can make some changes, but there, there's a bigger beast to be fought and it's a losing battle. So um, after some pretty serious <laughs> thinking and after visiting with, with David, I kind of on a whim quit my job as a principal, making pretty decent money without much of a plan um, because I wanted to start a school for my kids and for the kids in my community. Something that resembles um, what I had when I grew up. Yeah. I, had, uh, I grew up in a very small country school. I had four kids in my class multi-age learning. It was a phenomenal educational experience, kindergarten through eighth grade. It, it felt like a family, more of like a family than a school. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to create. So that's how Henri came about. Um, right. right now we have 25 kids, uh, birth to seventh grade. So birth to 13 with a lot on the waiting list. And uh, there's three teachers and an assistant. We're, right now we're just in a, a two-story home and hoping to build a bigger building at some point, but it's yeah. going really well. It's a lot of fun. Um, we have multi-age classrooms. Every kid is on their own, basically IEP. So they're on their own individual education plan. They each have their own pace and their own interests. And we incorporate art and music and uh, lots of time outdoors and nature learning. And yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And I hope we can help others do similar things. So. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to share too, when Mary Jo and I kind of randomly met, I had a friend of a friend who asked me if I wanted to go talk at a leadership to a leadership group during the pandemic on zoom again, there in South Dakota, I'm in California. I, I kind of knew this guy through another program I was in and he's a great guy, but I really didn't know him that well. And he asked me to come. I was honored. He picked who I was his one pick for the year or whatever, like bring somebody that could talk to the group. And I didn't know what to expect, but I went and just spoke of my story and how I really have committed my life to education and serving kids and really trying to reimagine the system and reimagine what, you know, creating better experiences for young people. And Mary Jo messaged me on the side in the zoom and was like, are literally the same person. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just older and farther ahead, like, but we are the same person. And so we, we grabbed a phone call. We jumped on the phone and I learned that she was in, you know, she was at that time you were a principal Mary Jo and she was not very happy. And for the first 30 minutes of our conversation and I, people that are listening, I want you to really like, think about this for the first 30 minutes of our conversation. It was like kind of flat like her, her affect was flat. It was like, she was telling me about her time as a teacher in the public school system, her time as an administrator. And then about like 27 minutes in, I was like, why am I talking to this lady? Right. <laughs> I, I need to change the energy here. So I just said, well, what do you really want to be doing? Cause you're clearly not like, you know, super happy. I don't think I was that direct, but intuitively I felt like, let me see if I can shift this by asking a different question, you know, being the coach that I am. And so mm -hmm. I asked her, something around the lines of like, what do you really want to be doing? And she said, I want to start a school and I want to start a school for almost, you know, close to 10 years. And I said, great, why don't you do that? And then like the whole world opened up, like all of a sudden it was like, I was talking to a kid in the candy store, her energy came out like, and then, whoa, okay. Now we're having the conversation I thought we we're having. And it was from that moment forward that I feel like you really proclaimed, you know, I'm opening the school. And then I have been helping people open schools for a few years now. And so we started to 
uh, Mary Jo is actually my first client, actually my second client. And we walked through all the different ways that she could launch onward. And I think it's clear that you have a very, you had a very clear vision and the vision and values you set forward that you put forward, that you set forth are actually in place now from what I can understand. Yeah. And, and I lean on those nearly every day and my interactions with the kids, interactions with the teachers, interactions with parents, decisions about their learning decisions about, um, class sizes. I mean, every, every aspect of the school, I lean on those, those beliefs and those principles that you helped me to establish. And, um, they haven't changed. I'm sure they will, but at this point, they're pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, they might not change. Honestly, my school's in year eight and they have not changed. I mean, some things have maybe been reworded, like the values and the different things like that, but they haven't. The ethos and like the core foundation have not changed. The other thing I wanted to share about Mary Jo is that, you know, I have my mastermind groups and I believe you were in one for like almost two years or a good amount of time, one and a half to two years. And so I think it's important for people to also to hear that when you're launching something, when you're going from, you know, I'm a principal that's not very happy with a good salary and good district benefits, and you can't even envision or fathom leaving that job, especially when you have, how old are your kids? Uh, one, five, and seven. Now they yeah. were uh, three and five then. So you had two kids that were three and five, and you're jumping off the cliff and leaving your job, right? And so it's it's really difficult to make those types of choices, even though you kind of feel it in your heart. But we did have the mastermind to kind of support Mary Jo through the process. And she also did a lot of work on herself to get really clear with what she wanted, what she really desired in life and where she wanted to serve. And so I think it's also important as you're going through this process, whether you're thinking about switching your child's school, whether you're thinking about launching a micro school or helping people or volunteer to get a charter school open, whatever you're thinking about doing is getting really, really clear with yourself about what you really want and what's best for your child, right? And so I feel like, Mary Jo, you did that work. Mm -hmm. And so when you were ready to launch the school, we were able just to like hit the ground running and you had the values and the vision like all in your head. And so I just held the space to help you articulate it and put it down on paper, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And just, just that support and reassurance. I mean, when you're a lone duck doing something that big that uh, potentially could affect you, also, you know, financially, just in every aspect of your life, that support is invaluable. And that's what I want to provide yeah. others, you know, and I think you and I teaming up is just going to be so much fun and so much fun. <laughs> we both offer different perspectives and different experiences, um, but have the same goals and the same vision. And that's exciting. Yeah. And I was going to share, you know, one of the things that happened to both of us, which I think is important to hear is that we both took these kind of risky choice, made these risky decisions and made choices that were not totally the linear path and not kind of what you're told to do, which is, you know, stay in your secure job and, you know, me leaving my executive position and starting the school. And what happened to both of us is that things started to fall into place really quickly. So it was scary. I think I can say that for you too, Mary Jo, like it was scary, but things started to fall into place. And that's, what I want people to understand too, is when you're following something you're really passionate about and it's coming from your heart and, you know, MJ had wanted, sorry, MJ, <laughs> Mary Jo had wanted to start the school for 10 years. And so it was like this desire that was bubbling up within her and eventually it just had to come out. And when you do that, then you start to see that things come together seamlessly. And like she said, it's not easy, 
but the work doesn't always feel like work because you're following your dream and you're really going through with something that you care about. And, but didn't things just kind of fall into place for you in a lot of ways? Wow, oh, absolutely. And also wanted to say, like, as soon as I turned in my resignation, like it, mm-hmm. it boiled, it was so stressful. And it was like all this pressure. As soon as I turned that in, it was like gone. I was like, there's no going back. I'm never going back. I'm out. Like I was, it just felt so good. And I'm not telling people to like, just quit their job on a whim, but (laughs) if you do know that on the other side, it feels really good and things do fall into place when you are working and doing things that align with who you are. I was, I was like, I loved my job. Don't get me wrong, but, but I was, it was eating me from the inside out. Literally my health was declining. I told David just before we started, I feel like I'm still recovering physically Mm -hmm. from that stress. Um, And it was COVID and there was like extra stressors. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but yeah, when you are working and doing something that is this meaningful to you, it, yeah, it just flows. It's so it's easy. It's weird how easy it is. (laughs) Exactly. It's like hard to actually explain. Well, I wanted to share, you know, kind of what what we envisioned when we started our schools. And again, we thought about our kids. So my my child, my kids were four and two when I was envisioning. Well, similar to MJ, I spent a lot of time planning for it. But when it launched, my son was going to be in first grade and my daughter was in preschool. So I had spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what do my own kids need? What do the kids in the community need? And What was really clear to me from all my years in education is that the kind of big factory model has, I was just talking to a gentleman that I think the episode's coming out um, on November 29th. It it is coming out on November 29th and his name is Michael Strong and he has Socratic experience, which is a great uh, virtual school. And he talks about some really cool statistics. Well, cool and that they're interesting, but not, they're kind of sad, but in that, um, they did a study on high school students and 25% of high school students actually like their high school and 75% don't. And so I think Mary Jo and I had spent a lot of time in these schools with amazing educators, like we talked about, amazing people that work in the schools in, a, in, in spite of the system and that are doing amazing things for kids every day, all day and working their tails off. And we just kind of felt like there could be a different way. You know, I had worked in great charter schools and I saw some really amazing, I experienced and worked in and led great schools and, but even then as they got bigger and a little more bureaucratic, you know, it felt like we had lost our edge in terms of some of the charter schools I worked into. And so we wanted to, and Mary Jo, tell me how you feel, but I think we really wanted to create a school that where kids really felt seen and heard and connected and loved a love-based school and a school where you could be not a number, but an actual individual, like Mary Jo said, everybody has an individualized education plan, which seems pretty basic, right? Why wouldn't you do that for every kid? And you would do that for your own kid. So why wouldn't you do it for every kid? And I think we both feel like smaller is better, though it's not the answer, but typically smaller is better, whether you're doing a school within a school or 25 kids, like a micro school, like Mary Jo has, but keeping it small, because that allows you to build that tight knit community, that connection, you're able to get to know every child really deeply and to see what they're great at and where they need to grow and to kind of guide them to their own potential, to their greatest, guide them to their greatest potential. And 
I think we both experienced, and again, I'm putting words in your mouth so you can correct me, Mary Jo, but we both experienced a system where that's what they say. Like, we're going to create lifelong learners that bring out the best on their websites. And then when you get into the schools, you have these amazing people, but you have a, a system that is trying to command and control everybody, the kids, mm -hmm. the adults. And we felt like we could create different schools, different learning environments where that was not the status quo, but in fact, the opposite. Right. That's exactly it. When, um, I don't know, all the time you hear people say, uh, you know, one adult can make a huge difference in a child's life. Right. Yeah. So I, I had that in my mind and then I was thinking, okay, one adult can make a big difference. What if all the adults, <laughs> made right. a difference? you know, if, if it's not just the teachers and the staff in the school, but it's every family is looking out for these kids, you know, we are one big team. And it's not just for one year and then they move on to the next teacher. They get the same teacher for three years to build that, that strong relationship in our school anyways. And then, and then like my experience and the experience I want for, for my kids at Onward is, you know, they have preschool through eighth grade, hopefully high school, where those relationships are staying the same. Like the people are all the same. I mean, we're adding as, you know, years go on. But yeah. it's stable, it's safe, it's comforting, and it's it's love based. And I'll give, I guess I should give Phil more. Um, yeah, that's his term. A little a little prop there because Phil um, was a part of a school called Upland Hills in Michigan, and um, I think he was the director there for like forty two or forty seven years, a long time. Very cool school. I went and visited it when I went there. I felt all the feelings I had when I was a kid at my school. Yes. So I was like, this is it. <laughs> like this yes. is. So yeah, Phil is on a mission to start love-based schools and to help people start love-based schools. And um, he he really helped me kind of narrow down because I wanted that. I wanted to kids to walk in and just feel, like you said, seen and heard, but also just like safe and yes. comfortable because you, you got to switch that safety part off in your in their brains for them yes. to be able to really learn. And I think we've done that. <laughs> yeah, so that's... That's my little tidbit on love-based, I guess. Yeah. And I had mentioned one of my episodes I did was about interdiscipline. And that was from a gentleman we had met in Phoenix. Mary Jo and I met in Phoenix to kind of, uh, you know, chart out our, this Pathfinder experience and program that we're putting together. And we met this really awesome guy who had been a student of Phil's at, what's it called? Mm -hmm. Upland? Upland Hills. Yep. Upland Hills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the way he spoke about his experience there was so transformative and so inspiring that we're like, we just need so many more schools like this. And I know Phil has programs where he's helping people too. And one of the things that I think is clear in the school that I've created and the school you've created and the high school I'm envisioning and working on next is that it's really a disruption of the status quo. And I wanted to speak specifically to curriculum mm -hmm. because I know with a few of different clients I have, that they will speak to their friends. I know you went through this and you're still going through this, Mary Jo, where you speak to your friends and you say something and they're like, well, what's your curriculum? And what's your, um, you have curriculum for reading for first grade, right? And it's one grade level and it's scope and sequenced and it's, you know, there's a standardized test to connect it to it. Like all of these things, <laughs> you know, my opinion, by the way, my voice. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's kind of like <laughs> what Martha Beck, one of the coaches I've loved for years shares is the collective other, you know, when you're a visionary or a reformer or a pathfinder, you're 
going to have to go up against the people that don't see the world. You're seeing what the world can be and they're seeing what the world is. And so I know curriculum is like an interesting symbolic example or the grade levels or the size of the school or how many sports, whatever the sort of mainstream narrative is that people want to connect to. Are they going to go to college? Whatever it may be that it's people have to really understand that it's going to be different. So tell us about your curriculum and how you've handled this kind of like, what about the curriculum question from parents and other teachers maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like the number one question I get, which is, it's funny to me because I didn't ever get that question when I was a principal. Of course. <laughs> they didn't. You could have not had any curriculum. Yep. And they would have never asked. But of yeah. course, you did have like a doctor curriculum through the district, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Right. That we had to follow verbatim. <laughs> or else. had to follow verbatim. Yeah. Which sounds really fun as a, as a creative teacher. Right. So how I've handled that, I guess, is it, our curriculum is fluid. I I am changing it all the time based on what my kids need. Yep. Some of my kids are very, they need very black and white, step-by-step reading curriculum, writing curriculum. Some of mine are very, very creative and that would box them in. So I, I do something more open-ended for them. Um, some of my kids are very math and science minded. Um, I'm not going to, you know, go too heavy on the other subjects when I can incorporate those subjects into math and science for them. Yeah. So I guess, like I said, it's fluid. I change it based on what the kids need. I also have developed kind of a schedule and a plan and what we're incorporating based on our area and the interests of our families. We, we teach some Lakota language, which is our, our tribe is the Ogallala Sioux tribe and, and the, the native tongue is Lakota. And so we teach some of that as, as much as we can. I'm hoping to get an actual teacher yeah. uh, at point to, that's, that's fluent. Um, we do a lot of art and music. That's one thing that our schools out here, um, you know, they incorporate some, but not much. And yeah. um, I, I feel like it's really important for our kids. Um, big thing is we don't um, use any sort of technology whatsoever until they get to about fifth grade. We'll start um, writing essays and doing some research projects and things on the computer. Yeah. But there's no learning apps. There's, um, I mean, it's all real life, old school learning. And um, people, old school. You know, I've had people that say, gosh, why are you starting something new? And I'm like, it's not new. This is old. Like I'm going back to the old, the way it used to be. And yep. the way I learned. And yes, they're going to learn all those things that they need to know, um, whether they're at my school or a public school, but yep. they're going to learn it in a different way, in a way that's not so pressured. And we're not cramming progress monitoring tests and standardized tests on their throat. And, and um, yeah, so... I guess that's my answer to curriculum. Um, oh, that's a great answer. And I feel like, you know, it's so I had um, Manisha Snowyer on, uh, she, I think her episode launched like a month ago and she is guides people in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And she's really passionate about a, that every parent is the best teacher regardless, no matter what, because you know, your child better than anyone else. And it's usually a confidence thing like, Oh, I don't have the credential to be a teacher, right. Or the certification. And, but what she also shared is that, you know, when you're doing, when you think about micro schools like yours that are small, you're basically kind of taking the best of homeschool and putting it into like a group environment. And mm-hmm. so again, because you're creating a much smaller unit of children, you're not having to standardize and be efficient. Like the whole entire, I'm just going to call it what it is, the school industrial complex where it's like, 
you know, when I was opening my school, I wanted to do multi-grade levels. We ended up pivoting and going uh, away from that because it's a public charter school. We have to do all the standardized test scores and all of that. But we weren't able to find any curriculum that was not set up for a scope and sequence that's exactly this date at this time for one year for a first grader. It has to do this at this time. And it's like, that's not how children are, especially in first grade. Yeah. And so what I love about the way you talked about curriculum is that you're actually kind of not, you're not having to be in the confines of the school industrial complex where you have to get a curriculum that fits 25 kids in a room with one teacher in first grade, right? You're able to say they're different ages, they're different groups of kids, and we're going to find what works best for each individual child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting away from that conveyor belt system where, yes. you know, and, and a big part of that is, is paying attention to their de- development, their mental development. So, I mean, for instance, I have a couple of kids who are seven and they're just now ready to learn to read. Like they, they needed a little bit more time. They're picking it up really yeah. quick, but we tried, we tried to start it with them at six and they just, they just weren't ready. Yeah. On the other hand, I have a kid who came to us from public school first grader. And, uh, I noticed he was getting really bored with what I was doing. And so I was like, oh, I gotta figure out where this kid's at. So I sat down with him in math and like the kids at the end of second grade math. So that's where I put him. Yeah. And he was getting in trouble in the public school because so he was bored. <laughs> but, and it's survival. I mean, these teachers have 26 oh. kids in one classroom. Like you have to teach that way when you have that many kids, it's impossible not to. And the whole system is structured in that you have to be within the box of the system. And so, for example, I know with my son and my daughter, they're really good readers. And the teacher literally said to them in kindergarten, oh, no, you can't read those books Mm -hmm. until first grade. So you're basically limiting the potential of a child because the system isn't allowing it. And again, the teachers are just doing what the system's setting them up for. And some teachers will find all these creative ways to go against it, work all these extra hours. But basically, that's the way it's set up, right? So it's not even... It's not even in their paradigm of thinking to put a kid in second grade math when they're, what would you say, six years old or whatever, because it's not even in the, they can't even fathom it, right? Because they're just doing their best within the system they're in. Mm -hmm. And, but by having smaller schools, smaller classes, you can kind of get outside of that, the confines of that box and do creative things for the kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of that with the industrial model of the public school system is, they have these class sizes for financial reasons. Yes. It's not, it's not what they think is best for kids. It's what they think is best for finances and which is sad. It's, um, but it's, it's, and it's also a personnel thing, like finding, finding the teachers in our area is hard. We, we live in a very rural, low income area. Um, so, I mean, there are other factors that are playing into that, but yeah, if you, you can, if you can keep your class sizes small, the, the world is your oyster. Like you can do so many fun things. It's just, and I know that firsthand as a student and now as a teacher, it's amazing. The difference in the kids, yeah. the teachers, it's just the whole environment is, is calmer. Um, it's yeah. makes makes teaching a lot more fun. Exactly. And I would even say, you know, I always talk about changing the operating system, right? As we have the same operating system, which is, one teacher, 25 to 40 kids in a classroom, and then a funding model that's based on, you know, per student and teacher and all the budget. And every budget's a value decision. It's just tons of values-based decisions, right, in a budget because you have a pool of money in. So I think it would be really interesting to think, you know, I know we played around with rather than creating smaller classroom sizes, 
when I was in my high school in East San Jose, we said like, let's have a hundred. It didn't quite work out as much as we would like, but you can start being creative with these types of things, right? We're like, let's have a hundred kids, you know, all ninth graders, hundred ninth graders. And let's actually bring in a bunch of different adults to do different things. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have like a table where they would get like tutoring. And then we had kids, uh, teachers, like more qualified teachers that were really good at teaching certain math concepts and doing workshops. And so you didn't necessarily have smaller class sizes, but you had um, really good adult to student ratio. So I feel like that's another thing that you can do when you're starting a new school or a different school is you can just kind of throw that operating system out of the window. And I know years ago in grad school, I read The Right to Learn by Linda Darling Hammond, who I believe now is like, I think she's a secretary of education in California, or if not pretty high up. And the whole argument in her book is we have this pool of money, but it goes to these kind of bureaucratic top-down models. And so the principal makes tons of money and then you have four vice principals that make tons of money. And then you have you know, four janitors, I don't make a ton of money, but there maybe you don't need four. And so there's ways to kind of divvy up the resources that are much more focused on the students. So like in her book, that was, I want to say written in the nineties, mm-hmm. she makes an argument for like, why don't you have more teachers and fewer administrators and fewer clerical people and just literally have everyone who's doing something be student facing and divvy up your resources that way. So there's, when you're doing a school like yours, you have so much freedom to decide what you want to do based on the values that you have, which is why we really believe firmly in starting with what are your values for the school or the learning center. Again, what I've learned through speaking with many people is that like Acton Academy, for example, they have Acton in a box now. I believe there's more than 100 schools across the country, but those are actually technically learning centers, Mm -hmm. meaning that they're under the homeschool law. They have them here in California, even, you know, in a pretty regulated state for education purposes. And they're allowed to operate as a learning center because they're really just doing a different version of homeschool. And that gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility to do what you think is best for your kids. I have a woman who's coming on in a couple, I want to say in about a month named Tanya Sheckley, who has the rebel educator. She's written a book, but her children, her own children, I think one of them has is a neurodiverse child. And she wanted to create a school a micro school for, for her own child that actually met their needs. Right. And so she had a very clear vision about the type of school she wanted. So you can do what's best for you, your children, your community. Oh, and I wanted to ask you about that, Mary Jo. Tell us about your community because this is not, these are not affluent kids living, you know, with parents that are doctors and lawyers. These are um, kids that are coming from the reservation, correct? Yeah. With about, I think it's 88% tribally enrolled kids. Yeah, our reservation, you can look up the statistics, but it's it's pretty staggering the yeah. all the statistics. <laughs> yeah. We have really good families though and, and really good kids, but but yeah, our income we we're a low income area. So I had to figure out a way to make this affordable. I, I wasn't gonna be able to go charge a ten thousand dollar a year tuition and make this work. I wouldn't have any kids. My my yeah. kids wouldn't even you know. So right, right. Um, so I've had to get creative there. I, I remember like early on talking to David and he was like, we were talking finances and I just told him, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's going to come. Like I, I'm not really that worried about it. Mind you, I'm in a state where school choice is like not a thing. There is no legislation here. Nothing, yeah. There's no, no funding for private schools or um, very little anyways for private schools, homeschool learning centers. Like it's pretty minimal. I was able to secure some funding through a childcare program. Um, at the tribe to help with some funding, I guess. But um, 
But yeah, I had to get really creative. That being said, just because you're in a low income area doesn't mean you can't do this. Like we right. can try to, you know, find loopholes and places that, that you can, you can get some funding for your kids. So. Yeah. And I had Don Soifer on many of you might've listened to that episode. He's uh, the director of the national Microschooling center. And he always talks about getting creative on both sides of the ledger and how you can, I know he was going to introduce me to some folks in Fresno, California that are thinking about how to create like a business high school where there's corporate sponsorships. And, you know, I know like Crystal Ray, who's part of a, it's a Catholic school that I believe is part of the archdiocese and they serve like 90, 99 or hundred percent low income kids, but they do internships. And so they're able to, the employers essentially pay the kids to do internships. And then that like five or $10,000 is used as a tuition for the child. And then they raise money through the archdiocese. So there are creative ways to do this. And it's not just the 10 or $20,000 per year private school necessarily. There's also, I've talked to people that have done micro schools in public schools, like a school within a school. I had a friend who opened did like a hundred student micro school in within like a large 2000 or 3000 student high school in Washington state. So there are many creative ways to do this. And I think people don't know what they don't know. Right. So we think it's like the school, we have this picture in our head. It's school down the street. It's, you know, 300 kids, X amount of teachers, the school bus and, you know, the prescribed curriculum and all the things that we grew up with. It sounds great that you didn't exactly grow up with that, Mary Jo, but many of us did in the kind of government schools. And so there are so many different ways to do this. And there's places like Prenda now where you can get put five kids in your living room and they'll support you creating basically like a homeschool, micro school environment where you can say, I want my kids to have four friends down the street mm-hmm. and bring everyone down the street and one parent that says, I'll do it. And there's really cool ways for everyone to do this now. So Mary Jo, I think we should wrap up episode one. Okay. And what are, oh, I know what our final thing was going to be. So we were, let's wrap it up by talking about just a little more about what Pathfinder is going to be, what it's about and why we think, you know, why we, why now, who's it for? So maybe just kind of start it out and then I can add more. In the last year, I've had quite a few people reach out wanting to start a school like Onward and I've really been sitting with it and, and I would be glad to help people start a school like Onward, but I would, it would make me more happy to be able to help them start a school that really fits their, their needs and their area and their kids and their teachers and everybody that, that is going to be a part of this. And so I reached out to David, David and I were just kind of talking. We're like, well, how, you know, how could we do this? And so we, we came up with this plan, Pathfinder, to, to try to, not to try, but to help <laughs> <laughs> others start schools. And it's like from the, the very beginning to the end, and we have some different options of how much support people need or want. And I feel like with my experience, with David's experience, we have kind of a very rounded... I've seen it all. <laughs> yeah, literally, view and perspective and desire. Like, this is fun for us. So, um, and like I said earlier, if it's fun, it flows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know when you said, how do we come up with this idea? I mean, I literally think it was you boxering me and saying, Hey, I'm getting these phone calls and I'm kind of not sure like what to say to them. I just, can you, can we just talk for five minutes so I can just get clear on what the heck I'm going to say to them? Because you're like, I want to help them, but I don't have onward in a box necessarily. And I'm not even really interested in doing that because it's so unique. And so we just talked on the phone and then I hung up the phone and I had this like really clear, intuitive feeling like, we should do this together. But then of course I went into fear and I was like, well, do I really want to do this? And all the things that, you know, you do, but it was like so easy. And so then I, 
I, I think I waited like five minutes and then I was like, no, 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 don't, don't go into the fear. Just literally call her back. So I think I just walked through you back and I was like, Hey, why don't we do this together? <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes perfect sense. I've spent so much time like opening all, you know, 10 charter schools, award-winning charter schools, you opening just recently opening um, tuition based or a school that's not publicly like a public school, even though you do get some public funding, mm -hmm. but and so we're like, yeah, we could really help a lot of people. You know, you're in South Dakota, I'm in California, and we just have such an interesting view of the landscape and a passion for helping people and to get people to really understand that it doesn't have to be that complicated, especially if you're doing a smaller school, right? And you're not doing this big entity that's got so many kids and so many budget decisions and stuff like that. So it's a pretty simple program. It's us sitting with you, whether it's in a small group or one-to-one -one, or whether you're watching our recorded videos or whatever the configuration is that we'll come up with. And the website's in development right now. It'll be up soon. It's basically a place where you can come and we can take you from your idea to the launch of the school and then support you as long as you need support to get your school open and up and running and successful. So pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and we're super excited about it. And the other piece I wanted to close with an MJ, you can close with whatever feels good to you. I have been feeling this for a long time pre-pandemic where I'll be in deep meditation. I'll be sitting there and I think about five or six different times where it was just like a thousand schools, thousand schools. It's like the thousand schools movement. And I can never really understand it like seven years ago. I'm like, what is that? Like, I'm not helping people open a thousand schools. But now that I'm sitting here with Mary Jo and now that we've been talking about it more and more, it's like, I do think that our mission is to help get a thousand schools like this, whether it's like we help 10 people to help 10 more or whatever the, the numbers are. I do think there's a movement brewing of people opening micro schools and different types of schools and learning centers and all these different things that there's a real movement brewing. And I feel like our why is that we really want to be part of this and help as many people like you listening, take this take your idea, take your passion and put it into practice so that we can create better experiences for the next generation. Absolutely. I agree with all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Every bit of it. Now is the time. Like it's, yes. it's like you said, it's brewing, it's coming to a head. Um, people, COVID was good for that. I mean, honestly, people were able to see like school can be done differently. And what is my kid doing all day? And just just start thinking outside the box. And and this doesn't have to be difficult. You, like like David said, you don't have to start a 400 kids school. Like you can start with 10. You can start with even 100. And we can make it a lot easier for you. It, yeah, we can help you with all the mistakes we made and all the things that we've gone through. We can right? just help you. And we'll have it all laid out, right? So that it's like, you can just follow the, the program. You can follow the path and we can give you advice and you can make it happen. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to, go ahead and get ready to record episode two, which will be coming soon. So thanks, Mary Jo. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen, and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement, and without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you.
Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.